I don't believe in free speech. I don't believe in free speech. I can't stand what they teach. I don't believe in free speech. I can't stand what they teach. I can't stand what they preach. I don't believe in free speech. I tried no boredom in 1997. I said, if you say gender is simply a construction and a performance, there'll be no more abortion rights one day. (laughs) One day, mark my words. I tried to tell them. I said that no one will remember that we were biologically bound to our reproductive status. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what happened, too. We did try to warn them. I yeah. mean, you and I, we started, first started talking about this stuff in the year, what, 2001, I guess it was. And and um, and at the time, that's totally, I mean, totally. We were going like, well, okay, but if you accept uh, this premise, it's going to lead to this. Yeah, and back then, in, two th- in the early 2000s, late 1990s even, we were talking about things that were... Um, theoretical at that point. Everyone was reading Judith Butler, um, who said, you know, gender is a performance, and um, and all that made sense, right? It, it explained why, you know, drag queens, as they were called then, I don't know if they're still called that in some circles, but I'm using the term we used then, a drag queen who would perform, say, a, a biological male who would, and, and many times someone who I identified as a man, but who for a drag show would perform as, say, Marilyn Monroe, would show that they can look as feminine as the most iconic feminine woman of American culture, Marilyn Monroe. And it stands to reason that if they those guys could perform as Marilyn Monroe, um, the, well, the rest of us look feminine. That's also a performance. Marilyn Monroe was engaged in a performance too, maybe. It's not just it just came naturally to her. Totally. So then yeah. people started talking about that, but it was always still like kind of just a theoretical position. Nobody was talking about, except for we talked about what these implications would be, but nobody really talked about what that was going to mean for um, elementary schools, boys and girls restrooms or segregated locker rooms or restrooms or uh, sports teams and what if somebody who identifies as Marilyn Monroe but is actually chromosomally, hormonally, and and biologically and other ways reproductively male wanted to be on a women's athletic team like no, no right. you know or who gets to go to a women's domestic violence victim shelter. So there were so many issues of like, well, there are a lot of things we do that are sex segregated and a lot of feminists thought for good reason. Yeah, it's really, it, it really does, um, you know, it's worth listening to old people about this, I think, because <laughs> because it shows you the path of like going back and looking historically, like Here's where the liberals went wrong is what it's going to look like to me. I think what it already looks like and what it certainly will look like in the future is like here's how they fucked themselves over because that because <laughs> it shows you the good intentions, how, you know, things that start off often. I mean, that's the historical lesson looking back in the past where you can you can see a lot of places where, um, you know, in this sort of arc of social progress, a lot of things that start off with good intentions for good reasons 
end up leading in unintended directions uh, because they have yes. they have there are implications just like whenever, you know, so like people like Neil Postman would always talk about like, uh, you know, technology and whenever a new technology comes along, you have to be very careful to ask certain critical questions like, OK, well, yes, this technology is is here it is. You know, we can do it. Does that mean we should? And, you know, we should ask questions like, well, what are the possible downsides of this technology? If we do this, is that going to mean this? And of course, People tend to not listen to people who ask questions like that. They just sound like old fogies. We tend to not oh, yeah. listen to those people. But you can really see it with, like, like you know, you and I used to talk about gendered toys for children, for example, right? And we would always say, like, definitely we were on the side of the fence of, like, like if I had had kids in the year 2000, I would have given them gender-neutral toys. Now I will give them gendered toys because everything is so whacked out to the opposite it's like the last thing i would want would be for my child to grow up being like a nut job from the woke left because because that's that's how it's changed because like i we saw the differences and we talked about that how yes obviously if you give your daughter an easy bake oven and you give your son a bunch of gi joes obviously you're teaching them you're instilling these certain gender roles it just i don't know it just shows how like i said the 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 unintended directions are crazy, you know, and I think a lot of things, well-intentioned, liberal, progressive instincts have really backfired in a bizarre way, and they lead us to where we are now. And yet, I wouldn't want to blame um, la, the feminists or liberals or trans rights activists for um, the Supreme Court decision to roll back abortion rights. I mean, I, right. I wouldn't want to go that far, but I do want to know why we focused so much on um, sort of self-expression and identity issues and seem to forget that being biologically female in the sense that you have a particular role in reproduction, which requires many, many months of gestation and possibly lactation if you go on to nurse the infant, <laughs> that that's uh, and and th and that that's physically risky and economically costly. That that is a um, circumstance. Being able to control that reproduction through medical technologies is what helped women have more freedoms and mobility. So now we're sitting here. Uh, we we it seems like we had been talking so much about other things as though biology didn't matter because we were in control of our biology with our all of our control of our fertility it was almost like we forgot that that really is a big determiner of your life outcome and so now all of a sudden you know it matters to biologically reproductive females that they won't have the kind of reproductive freedoms they took for granted for the past several decades right i wanted to say yeah th this thing that has happened one of the one of the unintended directions or the unforeseen you know um consequences uh is that once again like biological is it like a biological essentialism or something is like reasserting itself where suddenly biological sex really matters and all of a sudden you have this war going on within what seems like to the outsiders they probably see like like maybe you know like a super conservative republican 
uh, pro-life evangelical voter out there just sees like the left, the radical left, that's it. And maybe they don't see, and it's easy even for people in the left to not see that there's a war within that, you know, between, um, between these two sides, you know, there's like, like, uh, trans community versus the gay community is becoming increasingly sort of polarized, aren't they? You know, because, because, uh, uh, there's people more and more saying that, you know, um, trans activists are the new homophobes, you know, because, and we talked about this immediately. I remember in 2016, you and I were talking yeah. about this. One of the implications that we used to talk about was like, isn't there kind of no such thing as being gay anymore at that point then? For example, biological females who are in lesbian relationships but one of them is trans, so they're not in a lesbian relationship now. And, and, and some people react, people on the left reacting and seeing that as basically being homophobic and as being closeted, gay. Like two women are in a relationship together, two biological females are in a relationship together, but one of them identifies as a man, so they consider themselves to be not straight, but queer, but it's not the same thing as being lesbians. So now that we've separated biological sex from social gender now what you're saying is there's um tell me this is i'm following what you're saying then is that people could conceivably be at a biological level like in terms of their biological preference homo but their social preference and what they end up in looks hetero so if a biological female who identifies as a woman is with a biological female but who identifies as a man, are they straight or are they gay? Right. And we don't know because these are all new problems or new issues. Yeah, now all there's all sorts of different conglomerations and different ways you could be, um, like, seem homophobic. Right. So if I went out to a bar tonight and got loaded and woke up in the morning with uh, a sailor uh, who's a man... <laughs> And, and it was like, mm, how did this happen? This is weird. Um, I would feel that I needed to uh, uh, redefine my um, – I would have to think about my sexuality that I thought was so secure, you know, right? Uh, you know, if at this point in my life, if I started dating men and simultaneously I suddenly started identifying as a woman and so that I could say – and the result of that would be that I would people say, "Oh, so you're you're gay now?" And I go, "No, I'm a woman, so I'm not gay. I'm still straight." And it's even some people ask that question in the '90s about, you know, were were medical doctors who were supportive of, um, you know, what we now call gender affirmation survey, what we, sur- surgery, what we used to call sex change surgery, someone who say a trans woman um, who wants to be, you know physically through cosmetic and plastic surgery done over to get rid of their secondary sex characteristics that look the signaled, you know, maleness and to get breast implants and all that for to signal femaleness. But did that make you straight? Because if you were a trans woman, then you and you had a man partner who was a biological male, um, were you a were you really a man with a man or were you again, or were you straight? And were, were the, those trans people in the early days and their doctors the ultimate heteronormativity um, proponents? Because 
were they uncomfortable with people being gay? And now more and more people are are doing hormonal and surgical interventions just to be gender non-binary, not to actually switch over from one category to another, but to be category-less or to be some interesting hybrid of... So I know it's just, it's really interesting because even that, I don't think people predicted that those technologies were going to start getting, those medical technologies were going to get used by people who wanted to be gender non-binary. No. Yeah. And that's all quite recent, you know, really, um, that it's, I mean, that it's been done, you know, with such regularity. And if you are, if you're defining things based on biological sex, then you can say whatever you want. You can call yourself whatever you want. You're gay because you're sleeping with somebody of the same biological sex. That makes you gay. That's the definition of what gay means. So if you throw that out the window... Wait, that's one definition. Right, exactly. I was just going to say, we've we've thrown that out the window now. But some people would say it's based on the social identity, i.e. the gender of your object choice. And then others say we shouldn't, it shouldn't revolve around sex or gender of your object choice anyway, which is where the, the more fluid category and broader category of queer comes in. I think the difference between, I would like to think, one of the differences between like you and I and, you know, that that like right wing evangelical, you know, Republican guy out there with the angry podcast, um, you know, talking about all these libtards and stuff. You know, I think the difference, one of the differences I would like to think between us and and that guy is that um, like I don't care what you do. Speaking for myself, like dress however you want, use whatever name you want. Like it doesn't bother me when a female actress named Ellen Page suddenly becomes a male actor named Elliot Page and the whole and the whole world starts starts using he pronouns that's fine do whatever you want dress however you want present however you want call yourself whatever you want perform whatever gender you want to perform i also feel like when you said that you know just to push back on this for a second you did say that you know everybody can do whatever they want but but part of our point was always just to come back to this was that you can't just do whatever you want, right? Like, what if an adult male who's 30 wants to sleep with an 11-year-old girl or boy? We don't let him do whatever he wants, right? Because we think that infringes on someone else's right. rights and freedom. So then those are the real conflicts that people have to be willing to talk about. So can someone do whatever they want? Like, in so far as they... Um, go on whatever sports team they want to be on or can they go to whichever locker room or restroom they want to or can they go to whichever prison they want to or think they should go to that's where you get like well wait what if um, a biological male doesn't want to go to the men's prison and says well I identify as a woman so I need to go to the women's prison what if that were to put women in the women's prison in danger? You can dress however you want, you can identify however you want, but we have all of these actual policy implications for how to organize ourselves in communities and groups and in institutions. And that's the part that people haven't wanted to deal with. Yeah, there's really good points um, uh, in terms of, to go back for a second, to, um, you know, when I say like, you know, I don't care. Do whatever you want. I mean, there's, yeah, there's a huge asterisk next to that. I don't actually really mean that. I mean, I mean, I don't mind if a biological female 
says, hey, call me Bill now. That's fine with me. Why? Like, it's not my business. I don't care. That's not what my problem is. Where a lot of people would swoop in, they just automatically would accuse you of that. Like, I'm being transphobic. I mean, you know, people think I'm transphobic anyway. For daring to talk, to even talk about this is now transphobia. Um, but it really is that that is the point that you're 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 hitting the nail on the head there uh, in terms of um, we actually live in a society here. You can't just do anything you want. And it is just this is this is all about narcissism because you have one small group of people saying we can do whatever the fuck we want to do. And if anybody says we can't, they're transphobic, they're this, they're that, and they have to be silenced and they have to be eliminated. If you consider that question, like, I mean, everybody just back up for a second and we'll pretend like we're in philosophy 101. Should everybody just be able to do whatever they want? Well, no. If you start actually talking about this and thinking about it for just a second, critically, and just relax about your anti-racism and your transphobia for a second, and relax and think about this like a human being, we're all human beings for a second, instead of constantly working to make us all polarized enemies, right? Let's just remember, we're all human beings. We all have the same essential problems of mortality and suffering and loneliness and fear, and we just want to be happy, okay? So we're all the same, basically. Now let's think about a question that involves all of us. We're living in a society together. We're the same, but we're different, and we have to live together Can everybody just do whatever they want? Of course not. Everybody would say, no, of course not. You can't just, you can't murder people. You can't rob. You can't rape 12-year-olds. You can't rape anybody. You can't have sex with 12-year-olds, et cetera, et cetera. We know this, right? So then the question becomes, okay, well, we're going to have to have some laws and everybody can't be happy all of the time. We're going to have to make some laws and it's going to oppress, in big quotation fingers, some people. You don't have a right to do anything you want. That's not how society works. It can't work that way. You know, and one group of people seems to have forgotten that and every cultural institution seems to also have forgotten that. They're telling them over and over again, you guys can, can do whatever you want. And if anybody tells you you can't, they're transphobic. End of story. And they're going to get canceled. Remember, remember, though, it isn't just trans activists who can be, and not all trans activists are, but some elements of the the left and some trans activists can be um, this sort of um, illiberal liberals like you're describing. Yeah, that's, you know, I'm using trans as an example, but you're right. Illiberal liberals is really is really who I'm after here. All, not all trans activists are illiberal liberals. Okay? And, not, and we know that. I'm just trying to clarify A that. lot of but them are. also yeah. remember <laughs> that there are plenty of people on the right who act like that spoiled and demanding five-year-old who cannot stand not to have their way. Those are the people who are saying, no, our creator made us into... Uh, biological males and biological females, and that's the same as gender. They cannot stand the thought that a biological male could identify as a woman or wear dresses and skirts and nail polish and and call herself Betty or whatever. They (laughs) they absolutely refuse to recognize that that person identifies as a woman. Yeah, they just can't right? deal with and that so at all. That's right. They're being the same way. And so again, it's mm-hmm. it's that and maybe that's like you said because we're all human, that problem of being illiberal of illiberalism and a lack of t- social tolerance is on the right and the left. And that's actually something they have in common and then that's what makes to me that's what makes this polarization grow. 
because both both sets on both sides of the issue. So then every time you get every time you want to sort of speak reason like you were doing and go, let me just talk about how what how are we all going to get along in society mm-hmm. and let what kinds of policies do we need? Not everybody's going to you know, like everyone's going to have to compromise, right? How How's that going to work? What kind of laws? What kind of locker rooms? What kind of sports teams? All those right. different issues. What what What's the minimum age at which someone can get elective medical surgery without their parents' consent? Like all of right. those issues. But as soon as you start talking, going, okay, now we can make, get, make some progress, being reasonable. There'll be somebody on the right who is like, literally wants to wipe out any kid who sees themselves as not heteronormative gendered person. And then you're, and then, and then that just gives ammunition or fuel to the, the illiberal on the left. But so that's my conundrum is like, even when you start trying to talk in ways that are like academic and critical both sides are, if they're listening to this podcast, are going, they're de- trying to figure out whose side we're on and which, what, and why don't we be more clear about what side we're on and what, you know, and you, you can't, um, and it, and, sh- and there, and it's a life or death issue for everyone. And so it's, it's really hard to be like, well, I'm just going to, you know, I'm not, I don't have a dog in this fight. I'm just going to remove myself and look at this academically. Yeah. And, and I feel like everybody hates that. And yet we need that sometimes because the the polar opposite sides are um, like sort of egging each other on to become more and more extreme because they're, yeah. they're giving each other ammunition. And I think, I hope the message the people might get from our conversation is let's remember there's a ton of people in the middle who aren't one extreme or the other. When the world insists on putting this sharp divider down, if you're trans, it means this. If you're not trans, like and never the twain shall meet. That's the problem is that polarization that you're talking about. Trans, non-trans, they don't know anything about each other. White, black, completely different, will never get along. Gay, straight, will never get along, right? Cis, trans, gay, straight, white, black. Like, this polarization is the problem. So it's not enough anymore to say, like, hey, be trans, whatever. Like, let's all get along. We're human beings. No, we're not. I'm different, and I'm better, and I have more moral authority, and I have more right to speak, and you need to shut up because you're just you're just cis, or you're just straight, or you're just white, or you're just male. A lot of people on the right feel that anger, and not for no reason, you know? And again... I tend to concentrate like uh, it's a good point that you're making. Remember that the, the, the assholes on the right <laughs> and you're absolutely right. Remember those guys. Um, I tend to go after the people on the left. I think because I tend to think of the audience of the show as being mostly people on the left. And maybe that's not true. Right. Your point isn't to side with the right. And you're not ignorant of the many ways in which there are just that the same elements of illiberalism and intolerance on the right. In fact, some would argue there's way more of it, especially on the religious right. But just like when you said that, you know, there the right is correct, there are, um, you know, indoctrinations into mm-hmm. um, transgender stuff in school now. But remember, we have to acknowledge, just to say this, that 
there's plenty of indoctrination into heteronormativity right, in schools, and there always has been. Every you know, mm-hmm. whether it's prom that expects boys to invite girls or vice versa, but they're totally heterosexually oriented right. until very recently, um, where g- gay kids weren't even acknowledged or. Where you'd be if you were a boy who showed up in a dress for whatever reason, no matter what your identity, you'd you'd have been sent home at best, right? There's a million examples of how schools have have hammered home um, sexist, heterosexist, heteronormative values, and those constrain people. They didn't constrain people who identify as cis heterosexual men right but they do they do constrain them though actually like i was just about to say like when i was growing up like in school i was constantly like harassed and bullied by my peers and by my teachers for doing anything for being like for being a sensitive in the first place um you know for being a sensitive boy you get a lot of shit for that you constantly get you know get pressured pressured toughen up toughen up the world just wants to beat every ounce of sensitivity out of you and there's a lot of pressures on boys uh, that, by the way, makes them victims that we don't talk about. All We've talked about that before. All the ways that boys are these incredible pressures on boys that nobody cares about at all, about like the kind of pressures that they grow up with to be strong and brave and in charge, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, you should be ready to lay down your life for a woman you don't even know at any given second or else you're a yeah. pussy and a coward and you should be ashamed and go kill yourself, you know. And also just for things like like when I was growing up, you know, I had like long fingernails on my on my right hand because I play guitar and constantly like my own teachers, teachers like ca- like calling me a faggot, you know, for having literally, literally oh for having, you know, this is this is growing up in the 80s and 90s. This is how it was or being forced to take your earring out. Um, at work because boys can't have earrings, but girls can, you know, shit like that. Right. But, and I agree with you completely. And it's absolutely essential to remember to point this out that school, that all, all these institutions are constantly ramming heteronormative values down everybody's throat in the first place. However, and the right doesn't (laughs) care. That's the thing. The right doesn't care about that. Where was DeSantis, uh, the governor of Florida, when, when that stuff was sure. happening, that that's where they, that's where, again, I feel like they can't have it both ways. If they don't want schools to indoctrinate kids into gender, then they can't have schools having heterosexual proms right. and prom kings and prom queens and all these things that are totally ramming gender down our throats. Like however, yeah. However, though, I would make the point, though, that, you know, it's a tricky little moment. Uh, historically for us because all along things have been heteronormative and you know and cis normative and blah 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 and we just haven't had to think about it you know a lot of people have been thinking about it but overall the culture hasn't thought about that it's very normal like if you you know you meet some you know 12 year old boy and you go like so you got a girlfriend and now that would be like completely like like you, you should probably, probably go to jail for saying that now or something you know like oh my god what a fucking asshole came over and harassed i mean somebody immediately if i said that to, if i went out and and said that to my neighbor her his mom would probably go immediately get on social media and talk about how his his uh his trans son who i didn't know was trans actually just uh was was uh was misgendered and assaulted on the street because I just asked a question that I didn't know because I'm making a heteronormative assumption or a cis-normative assumption or whatever it is, right? Those things have all been invisible, but now they're not invisible anymore. But the difference is kids are getting indoctrinated to a different set of values. I guess the difference is we need to realize that there is no difference. <laughs> is that the difference? Because because these kids are being taught, they are, and 
I know you're not supposed to say this, but I say this anyway because it's true. They are being taught. They're not just being taught, and not just kids, but like young adults, social media, all the various pressures are teaching people that being trans is better than being cis. Being gay is better than being straight. White people right. are Which is evil. What we've Men been are teaching evil. Kids. Yes. We've and been teaching kids that about heterosexuality. That's for a long right. Time. Exactly. Like my teacher's calling me a calling me a faggot for like being sensitive or having long nails on your hand. They're shaming you into being the other thing because they're telling you that there's there would be something there would be something bad about being gay. There would be something bad about being feminine and challenging gender roles. But right. let's realize that you people are doing the same shit. These people are just as bad, just as bad as the other side ever was. Right. And so so then there's people like us who don't want either ideology rammed down the throats of kids. We'd rather see those removed. But then there's all these other people, and there's probably a bigger number of them, who are happy with the heterosexual, heteronormative gender ideology yeah, being totally. rammed down the throats of kids. And they and they only want to get rid of the trans activist ones. And so then that's where that's where you get the polarization and you get like and then if we say, look, we don't want either one. We don't. So the the trans activists are kind of going, well, let's you know, let's just give them a taste of their own medicine. Like if if they can put all their heterosexual crap in the schools, we can put our pro gay, pro trans stuff in the schools. Why not? That's that's giving resources that kids need and that uh, giving a lifeline to some kids whose whose parents would disown them if they found out they were trans or gay. Uh, just to jump back to what you were saying a minute ago about uh, you know we just want neither scenario right we don't want we don't want i don't want my five-year-old to be indoctrinated to like turn into like a a a gay trans woke black lives matter activist when they're five years old i also don't want them to be indoctrinated the other way to be like a macho you know the old school heteronormative cisnormative macho i'm going to beat up anybody who acts i'm going to beat up any boy who acts sensitively right I don't think I was ever in danger of raising a kid either direction. And a lot of good, old-fashioned, well-meaning liberals are like us who would have basically just attempted to just – you just try to raise your kids like human beings and uh, with what you would call just liberal you know, values, not like illiberal liberals, right? But just basically liberalism and the values of just basically trying to have compassion and respect for all kinds of different viewpoints, Right. And we're not going to ram any particular ideology down your son's throat. Let him choose his own thing. Right. That's basically how I was raised. You know, I was raised with like respect for religious traditions, but we didn't go to church. I was raised with like no pressure. I wasn't raised with like this, like super pressure for abstinence, but I also wasn't raised like this kind of thing. Like you should be knocking the bottom out of something by the time you're 13 or you're not a man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, like, so I was lucky in this way and I had a lot of different influences. But um, but again, to go back for a second, though, to go back to our earlier talk about like, let's pretend we're in philosophy 101. So us and all these well-meaning liberals out there uh, who just wanted everybody to just get this sort of neutral humanitarian, you know, not not too heavy on either side. The problem is we got to ask now how well that works because we are living in a society uh, that does have certain majorities in it, right? And so you have there. There's also the question of the needs of the many and the need, versus the needs of the few. That's a thing too. That and that has to be that has to be taken into account when figuring out things. You need 
mostly I would say, and that just relates to um, <clears throat> the number of like, if you're going to rewrite all of the rules of society specifically to benefit transgender individuals, you do have to ask what percentage you're rewriting all of society's rules and needs for. It's like if every if every building everywhere has to have a handicap ramp because one out of a thousand people that walk in there are going to need it, that's that's what we're doing, right? But for trans people, so okay, let's follow the premise then. If we're, like I always talk about being somebody with like lifelong like anxiety disorder problems, uh, I don't see the whole world getting rearranged to help me out. Like 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 I've I've done this thing before, right? You talk about like you know I walk into a a Starbucks and they have the newspapers sitting on front of the, uh, on the and I'm going to go on the social media and go like you know I walked into a Starbucks earlier today and a stack of newspapers with very alarming headlines about a flu virus going around were sitting on the counter and I was just. I was I felt really vulnerable and victimized in this situation. All I wanted to do was order a coffee and I thought this was a safe place, but they had totally thoughtlessly placed these things right in my face where I had no choice but to look at them. It was like they were holding me down and gagging me with these newspapers and these headlines I didn't want to see because believe me, that is how it feels. If you have <laughs> if you're a hypochondriac germaphobe just trying to go get a fucking cup of coffee, that's not fair. So are we going to, so now no newspapers? Well, maybe we can't have news anymore at all. Like, I don't want to see the news about the COVID headlines. So nobody's allowed to print any newspapers. Nobody's allowed to talk about COVID because it triggers me. That doesn't work. And it sounds like a ridiculous joke, but is that any more ridiculous than saying like nobody's allowed to admit that Elliot Page used to be called Ellen Page? And if you do admit that, you're gone, you're banned from Twitter? I mean, I don't think one is particularly rational and the other is crazy. If you want to create a system where no particular values outweigh any other particular values, then like all these good old-fashioned liberals like we're talking about, well, the problem with that is that people down deep need transcendent narratives to survive, right? Um, we all need a transcendent narrative to get by. And we have, you know, we love making fun of stupid people who need traditional transcendent narratives like Christians. Everybody loves talking about how stupid Christians are and how ignorant and evil they are, et cetera, et cetera, right? But they just, that's their transcendent narrative. Your, your transcendent narrative over here is being trans or being anti-racist. Like anti-racism is of course like a fundamental new transcendent narrative. It's just a new religion, right? And, uh, you know, and being a trans activist or being trans yourself or whatever it is, this is your narrative. This is your, your ideology. This is your, uh, your illusion if you're Freud or your ideology if you're Marx or whatever, right? This is the thing that makes you what you are and gives you a reason and a purpose and blah, blah, blah. And people need that. The problem is we're living in a society where everybody has a different one. We're no longer trying to do that thing where as a culture, when you look back at the old days or even now, like if you look at small countries, like I look at tiny countries where it's okay to be patriotic and it seems really cool. It's like, oh, wow, that's neat. They kind of have this shared sense of community because they have this small tribe. You know, and of course, tribalism has returned on force uh, for a long time now, you know, and there's bad tribalism like like uh, white nationalism and stuff like that. And then there's good tribalism that doesn't it's not called tribalism, like being trans or being anti-racist, but it's all the same thing. And the problem is we are living in a society where all these different tribes have to figure out how to get along. But a lot of people would say and have been saying for a long time 
that a society that doesn't have a unifying transcendent narrative is not long for this world. And that's sort of what a lot of people say has happened to us. We are trying to create a society where no one value is better than another. And the problem is there's like, there's no such thing as America, right? There's like a hundred different countries here with all kinds of different things and they can't possibly get along. So what is, what is going to happen here and what needs to give? Part of what's going on is there's no common narrative and there's no social connections. And I'm not sure if you need to have a common narrative or a transcendent narrative, as you say, um, to have the connections. I honestly, am not sure, but we don't have a lot of connections to each other, and it seems like what people are doing is chasing like personal authenticity and self-expression as its own goal, and that's just narcissistic. And that's totally yeah. That's completely the 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 other thing that you, that you're absolutely right is that to said that that culture of narcissism is you know Christopher Lash used to talk about right. It's like this the transcendent narratives that we have are all just completely narcissistic and shallow and meaningless. They're, they're not, the thing is if you replace, there are like, not all narratives are equal. And some of them are the kind that give meaning and purpose. And some of them aren't, you know, technology and the worship of that, the worship of science and the worship of technology, they don't necessarily, that's great for things like, you know, antibiotics and, uh, cell phones and coming up with a with a vaccine when when covid hits the world for the first time that's great but it's not so good for you know for answering the questions of like why we're here and what the hell we're supposed to be doing with ourselves right it it, it helps it, it it helps you live but doesn't really tell you why to live right i mean a good segue when we're talking about you know this question that that you brought up was like we're living in a society like you can't just do whatever you want. Um, you know, makes me think of the all the talk that's going on lately about about you know the overturning of of Roe v. Wade, which is because that's what a lot of the the abortion debate has always been. That which is basically there are lots of people who are screaming very loudly right now that. Look, you people need to understand, like, abortion is a women's rights issue. That's it. And there's lots of other people who are saying, no, it's not just a women's rights issue because there are other people involved in this decision, right? That's the basic, not, this isn't the question of, like, the legality of overturning this decision or the politics behind it. This is just the core sort of, like, ethics of abortion question in the first place. And what makes a lot of people angry is that it's not even okay to talk. Like for me, like listen to this man sitting here talking about the ethics of abortion, right? Because if it's in your body, it's a whole different story. But a lot of people, if you ask them about the ethics of abortion, they're going to have the same person would have a very different answer. How do you feel about abortion in the first trimester, for example, versus how do you feel about abortion? How do you feel about abortion at eight months or something, right? Right, do you think, or in the case of rape or incest as opposed exactly, to. Exactly, totally. Even if, it's eight, even if it's eight months, what if it's rape or incest? What if the mother's life is in danger? What if the mother's life is not in danger? And I would think, I haven't, you know, gone down all the, the <laughs> through all the data here, but I would think at the bottom of the list where, where the fewest amount of people would still be in favor of abortion would be like, it's two weeks before you're supposed to have your baby 
your life is not in danger. You just changed your mind, right? But the thing is, this is a, it's a great, a classic question because it's making decisions like setting laws, setting rules based on such sort of subjective, how do we feel about this kind of thing? It's like screen testing ethics. It's tricky business, you know, uh, because once you make exceptions, you know, you have to follow things consistently. You know, the law is supposed to be consistent, right? So if you, you have to make laws that are, they have to serve practical purposes. They're, they're, you have to, you know, I talk a lot about consistency, but you have to be practical as well. Like I'm not saying abortion has to be legal or not legal. You can get an abortion for any reason or you can't get an abortion for any reason. I'm not saying that. I think you have to be realistic, right? It's like there is a big difference between, you know, before and after the viability of the fetus. There's a difference between whether the woman's life is in danger or not. And I'm just sitting here, this man just discussing this academically. If my wife was pregnant eight and a half months and we both loved this baby already and we wanted, you know, and we, our whole life was now about having this baby. And then all of a sudden, eight and a half months in, they say, this baby's not going to survive and it's probably going to kill your wife. Then what would I do? All of a sudden, it's a very different question, right? And I think a lot of the people who are yelling against abortion, maybe, you know, a lot of these people, it's easier to be against it if it doesn't involve you, right? Well, but the bottom line is the vast majority of the American public of all genders believe in uh, the right to obtain a, a safe medical abortion under certain circumstances. And the vast majority of those same people believe in boundaries. So I don't want to paint it as this extreme picture. There's not that many people who believe abortion should be illegal under all circumstances, just like there's not very many people who believe abortion should be legal for all nine months of your pregnancy just because you don't like being pregnant. That there's right. those are like those are just straw men and women and and non-gendered people. Not those straw are, people. Right, or straws, yes. <laughs> those are straw people. Those are um it's it's not uh, it, so the if if the right that's anti-abortion is going to paint the pro-choice people as uh, they just think a woman should be able to do whatever she wants whenever no they they've always for decades talked about the boundaries and how to strike that balance like if a fetus is viable on its own that's totally different than when it's so immature and. Um, so early on in gestation that it isn't even viable as a life separate from the mother's whose womb it's in. I mean, those are, uh, to me, that it's not that complicated. But people, or it is complicated and, and it isn't that simplistic, I guess I should say, because people don't have that simplistic of views. The vast majority of people believe both and. They believe that while a fetus is um, not viable outside the mother's womb, that's the mother's choice to um, to maintain, to continue or to terminate that pregnancy, and that and that lots of people have talked about the bioethics of it, and the bioethicists are never so simplistic as the way the right tries to characterize or car caricature the left and the way the left tries to caricature the right. So I guess I just it's one of those, again, where people have become so polarized and and most most people are somewhere in between. And I feel like people don't even 
know know it that if they are somewhere in the middle they're the majority so i mean it's like it's like you know um, various forms of gun control most people support some form of gun control most people don't want to wipe out everyone's guns and most people don't want everyone to have a ak-47 so it's kind of to me it's a little more like that but but we have such a extremist media environment that yeah exactly we, we if we're not careful we we believe the caricature about exactly about the different sides and then are left going wait am i the only one who is kind of in the middle totally i think and, and also i think you know that we we've been encouraged now we've been taught to be uh to think in totally black and white terms ourselves to to think in those terms because we can't we've been taught that it's not okay to have complex real human emotions so for example most people like i have always said I am pro-choice, but I still have ethical issues with abortion a lot of times, okay? And that's an okay place to be, people. It's okay to say, you know, I have moral, ethical dilemmas about abortion, but I am still pro-choice because I think women just have to have the freedom to do that, okay? Just like I am against capital punishment. And somebody goes, well, don't you think that guy deserved to die? That's always the first question. That isn't the point. Again, let's pretend we're in philosophy 101, guys, okay? Like, that can't be the deciding factor. It's not just an abstract theoretical question to debate while we're having a drink, you know, after our philosophy class. There, there You have to take into consideration um, with capital punishment, there is the question of, First of all, on a practical level, for example, you have questions like the total discriminatory manner in which the capital punishment is meted out, right? You look at like how, how, how costly it is to actually put someone to death by the state. It's, I think it's more expensive than actually housing them in a prison. <laughs> and, and, and the fact that that's right. And the fact that it's not um, – the fact that it's not applied, uh, that sentence is not applied evenly across groups of people, you know, right? And things like that. And then there's the there's the ethical question of like, can you, you know, whether or not they deserve it isn't the question. Is it okay to kill somebody to prove that killing is wrong? Like, do we want to have a system set up with examples like that? Seems to me no, right? So I would say, I can say I'm against capital punishment, but I can still have mixed feelings about it. And I can say I'm pro-choice because I think that's just how it has to be because we're living in a society and it's a, it's a practical thing. But I can also say that I have ethical problems. I can say, for example, with abortion, everybody get prepared to get angry at me. You know, like I would say, you know, like, because the thing is, okay, it's a knee-jerk reaction now to say you can't say that. You can't say that. Or don't say that because it'll make you sound like this, right? We have this knee-jerk reaction. Um, like, you know, you are, it's okay to say, to be realistic about like, like if you're terminating your pregnancy, right? You were talking about that polarization. People on the right will always say you're killing your baby. And people on the left will say you're terminating the pregnancy. People on the right will say, will characterize any woman who has an abortion as like some irresponsible slut who can't use birth control and goes out and gets drunk and then makes a mistake and then goes and gets an abortion. People on the left 
will characterize it in a different way. Like all the media, which is controlled by the left, is is putting out stories, including like Joe Biden has repeated this, right? Like the only stories that you're hearing from the left, which is the media, is like stories about like a 10-year-old rape victim. That's one of the ones that's going around. Like a 10-year-old girl yeah. who was raped and couldn't get an abortion and had to cross straight lines. And then, and then another one, another one. And they're, of course, not going to talk about the other kind of people who get abortions, right? The other instances. It's that polarizing thing, of course, where each side is just going to go for, because people, you know, people suck. Everybody sucks, left and right. And I tend to concentrate on the left, but everybody's terrible. Everybody's just an infant. It's okay, people, to have, you know, to have mixed feelings. The problem is that we are not allowed to have those mixed feelings anymore. So everybody is caught in this desperate psychological battle with themselves because they feel something that doesn't jive with their sense of who they are and they cannot handle it psychologically. I talk about that all the time in my um, interview with uh, with Andrew Hartz. Recently, we talked about that a lot in terms of reaction formation and um, and splitting where it's like somebody like the way that anti-racism has this element of that to it. He's, uh, he compared it to like the the closeted homosexual super anti-gay people in the 90s who were like constantly like they were all like you know like like battling like so loudly and vocally opposing like like gayness in general and gay pornography and then they always end up getting busted with like gay prostitutes <laughs> like yeah. that kind of thing so, right right that that's that extreme like we split off and we can't we can't see the other side of the policy issue or the political debate as having any reasonable points of view. We have to demonize them and completely split ourselves off, and then you can't have conversations. And then if you're in the middle and you're not a victim of splitting, if I understand splitting correctly, you you still feel like you can't talk to anybody because there's so many other people who are split. They'll be like, whose side are you on? And you immediately have to be like, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying that. If, and that's what happens with us when we talk about transgender issues because it's so... Uh, that that was like the you have to anticipate there's people listening who are trying to determine whether you're with us or against us or are, with are us you or over here us. on the yeah. right and you totally hate trans people or are you over here on the left and you and you yep. and you hate anybody who questions anything having to do with trans rights and so we think that way like we don't just we don't just argue that way I mean we actually think this way now it's like everybody is basically like uh, the equivalent of like that that the closeted gay homophobe now. I still insist that there are lots of us in the middle somewhere who aren't like that. Like you were saying, it's okay to have questions. It's okay to have skepticism. It's okay to have um, ethical problems with something. And it's yeah. okay not to have made up your mind on something. Um, you know, it's almost like a, we need a new saying. Like, yeah. we're here, we're unclear, get used to it. You know? <laughs> that's beautiful. I think that's brilliant. <laughs> 